Welcome to Already Enough with Kelly Backert. This program is about realizing that you are already enough and nothing outside of yourself can fix you because you aren't broken. This program will help give you the tools to let go of old ideas about life and step into a new way of living. You will hear from experts, be given helpful tools and tips, and much more. Now here's your host, Kelly Backert. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly Backert, personal trainer and health coach. Welcome to my show, Already Enough. I'm super excited to be here. And this being my first episode, I would love to chat for you with you for a bit about the show and why I think everyone listening should tune in each week. For those of you listening that know me, you know that I love to talk and I'm very passionate about helping others to stop searching for an outward solution to an inner condition and honestly just show up for your life in the most authentic way. I mean, don't we all like we really love people that are showing up for like their authentic self. It's super refreshing and it's so awesome to be around. One of those people is Jordan Lally, my guest today. He's going to be coming up later after the break. So I hope that you'll stay tuned for that. As a trainer and a coach, my specialty has been working with people in the area of food and body. But honestly, this show is going to go beyond that. It really is going to highlight that no amount of food, drugs, alcohol, relationships, thinness, money, or really any outer circumstances is going to fill that inner void and allow you to truly be happy. Because I believe that true happiness is found within us. And I believe we all have it. It's just that we've just kind of been searching for it in all the wrong places. I'm going to talk with you just for a little bit here about my own past personal story. I've really done anything and everything to not have to go inside myself and really do the spiritual work required to heal. I wanted to escape really my own feelings and just the basic uncomfortableness of being a human being and everything that kind of goes along with that. My addictions controlled everything that I did. I would jump from one to the other and I would just keep moving so rapidly so I didn't have to pause and actually feel or just really just to just be. I like to describe myself back in those days as a semi-functioning basket case. It was crazy. If you can think of it in terms of just like kind of different levels, different levels of trying to find happiness, my favorite level was the food and body. I believed that if I could just reach, well, my number was, and of course I just made this number up, but my number was if I could get to 110 pounds. So I'm like five foot eight, so it's it's absurd, but this is the number that I came up with. So if I could just reach 110 pounds, I would be happy. So this was an endless time of binging, overeating, undereating, depriving myself, pills, obsessing over the scale, the next meal, the next diet. And I tried every diet. There's seriously not a diet out there that I didn't try. I tried the all egg diet, which is totally, I'm not. I'm totally not kidding. Super disgusting. The all soup diet, the only eat from the inner portion of the supermarket, right? I know dietitians are like, oh, it's so important. Seriously, don't scream at me. But America has the highest obesity rate. And yet we have, and we have billions of dollars worth of solutions and diets. It just makes no sense to me. I just feel like at this time, maybe we can just stop and think, Maybe this isn't the direction that we should be going in. Maybe we should be doing something different, right? 
So for me, during that time, I was getting high praise. Oh, you look so great. How do you stay so fit? I wanted to scream. I've drank one diet soda in like three days. And it was just crazy. It was such a crazy time. And if I go back to kind of those levels of happiness that I tried, besides trying to find happiness and being thin, which never worked, I got down to the 110 pounds, by the way, but it didn't make me happy. Then my thoughts were, how am I going to maintain this? And maybe I should be 108 pounds. It was never enough because I didn't think I was enough. So then I would go on to the next thing, right? So this kind of food and body thing wasn't working. I wasn't able to find whatever I was searching for. So then I would go um, buy a new car, right? And I would drive it off the lot. And instantly I would see, uh, let's say I bought a white one and I would see the red one. And I'd be like, damn. So that didn't work. So then I would go get myself a really cute guy and hang out with him for a while. He'd be a big jerk, right? But he was cute and people liked him. So if I'm with him, I'll be enough and I'll be happy. And then that didn't work. So then I would go and find this super cool job. Maybe it would pay me some really good money. And I thought that that's going to work. Oops, that didn't work. So then I would go to the bar because everyone knows that the place of happiness is in a bar. And I would get drunk every night and party endlessly to all hours and wake up feeling shitty and being sick. So this went on for years, by the way, but it still didn't make me happy. So it wasn't until about 2004 when I was with my now ex-husband and I was, um, we were talking about getting pregnant with my daughter, who's now 14. And I was like, I need to get my shit together. I mean, I'm on this endless search, reaching outside of myself to fill myself up, and I just need to stop. I just felt like I was spinning. And at this point, guys, um, I have to tell you, so I had gotten kicked out of college. I'd been in alcohol treatment. I'd been in an eating disorder clinic. And I'd had more jobs and more boyfriends than someone should have in like 10 lifetimes. So things were really not looking great. (laughs) Things were not going well. Um. But at this time, you have to understand, I had no self-awareness. I thought I was just normal, and and this is just life, and I just have to deal with it, and this is just the way that it is. I had no clue that there could be a different way and a much better way of living. And my family and friends, to no fault of their own, really weren't any help. Because if you were only looking at me from an outside perspective, you wouldn't have been able to see what was really going on. But that's kind of what we do, right? Especially in this age of kind of social media, it's this idea that we know everything about someone because we follow them on Instagram. And then we have a shitty day and we feel like crap. And then we look at their marvelous life as if we know from a photo what their truth is. And then we feel even worse. So like I, I tend to tell my clients this a lot. I'm like, you're judging your insides by other people's outsides. And that's what we tend to do. And we've all met these people, right? They're like so beautiful and they're smart and they're caring, but they're playing old tapes in their mind of I'm not enough. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. So as with me and a lot of us, it didn't really matter if we had it all, so to speak, if we didn't believe it. And then that's the energy that we're putting out to the world. So not only do you feel this way, but people sometimes will respond to you that way. It's kind of like that idea when you're in a hurry and you hit every red light, but then when you're not in a rush, you fly through every green light. I sometimes think these lights are just reacting to our energy. 
And I feel like people react to our energy. So even when I was with those those boyfriends, you know, we show up and we meet and, oh, she's, you know, she's this girl. She's very pretty. She's this, she's this, you know. And then my self-hate would come through and my not enoughness would come through. And these people wanted, were like, ugh, you know, this isn't the person that I want to necessarily be around because that was the energy that I was giving off. So I started to want to make some changes and some shifts, like I said. And I had to kind of ask myself a lot of questions, like, what am I searching for? What am I running so rapidly for? For happiness, for joy, does that even really exist? Am I on this endless diet plan as a distraction? So these were the questions that started to arise when I felt like my journey of healing kind of began. Only this time, my journey, I had to go in. I had to stop. I had to listen. I had to get still. And I realized that life is crazy, right? And I wasn't, and I I had to realize that I wasn't something that needed to be fixed as much as I was someone who needed to learn to accept, be grateful, and kind of realize that I was already enough. And really, we all really are. There's a billion dollar industry out there telling us that we're not, right? It's fighting this notion. The cosmetic world, the plastic surgeries, the diet. It's the bigger houses. It's endless. And none of these things are bad in and of themselves, right? You're not wrong for wanting to wear makeup or look nice and have a nice home. But when it becomes never enough and an endless chase, I think that's where the problem lies, like it was for me. Kind of going back to that idea of the scale, I would set this goal. I would reach the goal, the 110 pounds, remember, that I made up in my head. And then ultimately, 60 seconds later, it wasn't enough either, The negative thoughts came right back in. So it was never really about the scale. It was about me starting to accept. I always, um, something that I tend to tell my coaching clients is with this relationship with food and body, I think there's a direct correlation with your relationship with food as there is with everything else going on. So in the times of me like trying to control and really watching what I was eating just like a seriously crazy way and depriving myself, there was a lot of anxiety around that, right? But there was a lot of anxiety going on in my life in general. And so if you're approaching life, like if you're approaching your relationship with food in a very fearful way, you're probably approaching other things in your life a little bit in a fearful way, right? I always like to like when we're, when I have a client who comes to me and she's like, you know, I really need to just, I need my whole life would just be put together if I could just lose 10 pounds. And I'm always like, you're avoiding all this other stuff that's kind of going on. It's not really about the 10 pounds. I kind of feel like you're using that as a distraction, right? And we tend to do that, which is, it, it just is. I mean, that's what I was doing for a very long time. I mean, I wasn't until I stopped and I was like, okay, I'm not doing well. I was struggling so much with these relationships, my work, food, anxiety, depression, so many things. And I honestly just started to pray. I just started to ask God for help. And if you're not someone who believes in God, if you believe in the universe, if you believe in the tree outside your house, I really don't care. (laughs) I just, I believe in my own experience that the slightest willingness, the universe will respond to that. And I also believe that small, subtle shifts create big change. So with me, with that slightest willingness and that asking God for help, I really didn't know where to start, but books started to be given to me. I was introduced to really cool people and they helped me give some tools that I needed. I was introduced to meditation 
and cycling and all these things now, it, it, it wasn't a quick turnaround or like a sudden change. I didn't have like what Oprah likes to and like likes to say the aha moment. I think it was a lot of things. Like I think it was a lot of different moments. I didn't have this crash landing. I mean, you would have thought going into an alcohol treatment center was a crash landing, but it wasn't. And you probably would have thought maybe the eating disorder clinic was a crash landing, which it wasn't. It was kind of a lot of these things building up, the endless relationships, the endless cycle of dieting, the endless, just the constant search. And I mean, like I said before, I had tried so many things. And then during the time, I'm not even realizing what I was doing. So inner, now it wasn't, it wasn't like a quick turnaround. Like I said, it wasn't like a sudden change. It was just a different tools over a period of time that were given to me that I stopped looking outside myself and stopped trying to fix myself and realizing I was never broken in the first place. I wasn't something that needed to be fixed. So on Fridays, I would like to open all of us up to just kind of a different way of thinking, feeling, and being. One that you can use your instincts and allow yourself to just be. There are many tools that I have used that I have helped me. And then I'm going to have so many amazing experts and guests on my show that will help all of us with not only these tools, but many more. So I'm hoping that you guys will tune in each week and we can all learn and kind of grow together. One of the main parts of my journey was meditation. I was someone who was always on the go, never stopping. I was pushing and going. I really honestly, this was my thought. This is a crazy thought, but I thought anyone who doesn't work 12 to 16 hours days is just not going to make it in this world. Like if you don't work 12 to 16 hour days, you're just not going to make it. Like you're lazy. Like what's wrong with you? You should be aspiring to be something better. I mean, it was just it was a ridiculous thought. But I honestly never felt like I deserved to do anything different. I just, that was what I was doing. I mean, I was working so much trying to do, I don't know what, I guess just trying to fill the void, right? These, all these feelings that I didn't want to deal with. But as I said before, like hitting a place in my life that I knew that I had to drastically change, I knew I needed to do something different. There's that quote, right? A lot of people use it, but that quote by Einstein that said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Well, that's what I was in, right? I was in this hamster wheel of doing the same things and trying, I mean, like like how many people, how many relationships do you have to have? How many jobs do you have to go through? How many different like types of alcohol and drugs do you have to use? I mean, it was crazy. So I tried meditation And I made an honest commitment to it. And it has helped change my life. For me, starting the day and ending the day with meditation is really about kind of getting rid of what I like to call my monkey mind. There's a lot of general anxiety that goes on throughout our day, whether it be like kind of listening to the news or our friends' problems or our children or our spouse or social media. The world can be really full of noise and violence and it And meditation has helped me better navigate this. And so instead of participating in the drama, it's not dealing with my own thoughts and anxieties, right? For me, finding that silence on a regular basis has allowed me to change my energy of chaos, searching, needing to be seen, and to just kind of a more mindful way of living. It's even helped me 
just in every area of my life, like just being more mindful with my food or being more mindful with the things that I say to other people and my exchanges and my relationships. So it's not so much that I'm out here changing the world as much as I feel like it shifted me in a way that I can be better in the world, if that makes sense. It just has helped. It's almost just like it's quieted me down enough. And when I start the beginning of my day, so I'm not just instantly turning on the news or instantly going to my phone now, I try not to do that. I try to just sit with myself. Some mornings it's three minutes. Some mornings I can make, you know, 30 minutes to 60 minutes work. And then all throughout my day, if I'm going into an important meeting, maybe I'm just sitting in my car taking three deep breaths, right? Just those little simple things to become more still to go in and have a little bit more intuition as I kind of navigate through my life instead of coming at it in this sense of like anxiety and drive and and going at it that way. Because like we talked about or what I talked about before is people are responding to your energy, just like those stoplights are responding to your energy. So if I'm coming at the world, it's interesting how people respond to me when I'm coming at them in that more aggressive, fast-paced, high-anxiety way, and when I come at them in just a more relaxed state where I'm really present and I can really listen into what they say. And I'm not so fixated on all of these things and am I enough and are they really listening to me and can I, and, and thinking about like my next diet and all of those type of things. So I'm so excited for my next guest. He's going to be coming on the other side of the break here. Who He's not only my meditation teacher, he's a musician and an amazing mental health advocate. So I'm so excited for that. But when he comes in, he's just an expert in this and he's really somebody who I've learned a lot from too. And he is going to be able to better explain to us a little bit more about the science behind meditation and how it healed him. But him and I will do, we do workshops together And I'm telling you, like, it just shifts us, right? Right when we do those meditations, it just shifts the energy of the room. And it's so unbelievable. There's just such a healing power. Even if you're somebody who's moving really fast like I was, it's amazing. So we are going to take a short break here. And I hope you will stick around to hear um, Jordan on the other side of the break. And you will stay tuned. So really stay with us because I think it's going to be a great opportunity for some, at least for even if you're someone who's like, I'm never going to be able to meditate. I can't even sit still for five seconds. This is why I want you to tune. You are the people that I want to tune in the most because it's not like that and it's going to be super awesome. So I hope that you will stay with us and you all stay tuned to what, um, yeah what he has to say. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Kelly Backer offers one-on-one life and health coaching and personal training by phone, over Skype, and in person. Visit corebootcamps.com to find out more about Kelly and these programs. No matter your age, gender, fitness level, or goals, Kelly and her team of certified trainers are here to ensure that you become the best version of you. They can even come to your home or work, and group weight loss programs and classes are also available. Find us on the web at corebootcamps.com. That's K-O-R-E bootcamps.com. 
If you're in Baltimore or Hartford County, Maryland, you can check out the Core Boot Camp Studio and take advantage of our fitness classes. Led by Kelly Backer and her team of fitness professionals, we offer on-site weight loss programs, challenges, and classes, including spin, sculpt, strength, yoga, and the popular full boot camp. If you're a fitness beginner or at a top level, we already have a class that fits your style. For more information, visit corebootcamps.com or call us in Maryland at 443-640-5274. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Already Enough with Kelly Backer. To reach the show today, you may call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feel free to also send an email to kellysbootcamps at gmail.com. Let's get back to Already Enough. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is Kelly Albright with Already Enough. I have brought in my meditation teacher, Jordan Lally. He's also a musician and a mental health advocate. Thanks for coming on the show, Jordan. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Yeah, super excited to have you here. I think I'm just going to start out by maybe you just kind of talking to us about how you came to meditation and kind of your story of healing around it. Okay. Um well, I had no prior meditation experience up until five and a half years ago. Um, I was probably the antithesis of anybody you would expect as a practitioner of meditation. Um, about five and a half years ago, I lost my father uh, after his battle with clinical depression culminated in suicide. And so that, for me, was my wake-up call to my own mental health. I had been dealing with social anxiety, high school, varying degrees of depression, all of which I never really acknowledged much. Uh, until um, I really witnessed my dad's struggle and I started to recognize those things, the depression and the anxiety, I started to recognize them as uh, an illness in me rather than a weakness. I really considered them to be a weakness for most of my life. Um, but really thanks to the, the, the lesson that my father, my father's struggle afforded me, I was able to clearly see it was an illness because my dad was this jovial, happy-go-lucky kind of guy and you could easily see the depression sort of overtake his brain. Um, so the day after his funeral, I started meditating. A bit of serendipity brought the practice to me. Um, and I started meditating on my own. The first few weeks were entirely frustrating. I was sitting with thoughts and emotions and um, just sitting still for the first time in, uh, again, like two decades. Um, but after those first few weeks, the, the meditations, they started to become the highlight of my day. Um, this little sort of oasis of, in peace uh, in an otherwise a stressful day, anxious day, self-medicated kind of day. And mm-hmm. um, and then really, I guess maybe it was around the first year mark that that piece just started to bleed into my everyday life. Um, and they've just, uh, the practice of meditation and mindfulness has just helped me not only to cope with uh, that depression and that anxiety, but it's helped me heal from those experiences. Um, yeah, it's really just been transformative. So that's sort of my story in a nutshell. Yeah, no, I think... 
One thing that you said, and I think that it's important for the listeners too, because it was really important to me at the beginning of my journey with meditation, and you say it when I take your meditation classes too, is this idea when you are meditating that people think of it in terms of like stopping your thoughts. And this is just not what it is. No, not at all. uh, I think that's for most of my new uh, clients or people that come in my speaking engagements, that's sort of the biggest stumbling block for them is that they think that that's what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to silence your mind, and so they give it a shot for five, ten minutes. They can't do that. So they sort of get frustrated and give up. But it's the exact opposite, actually. We're not trying to stop thought. We're allowing thought to come and go. What we're doing is we're watching and witnessing that thought. We're starting mm-hmm. to become more mindful of what actually is going on in our headspace. Um, so we're not wrestling with thoughts. We're not just unconsciously following thoughts like a dog on a leash. We take this step back within ourselves, and we start to just watch and witness um, and we do that through use of a meditation anchor. So you're just focusing on your breath or a mantra, prayer, um, anything that's happening in the present moment just ser- sort of serves as a frame of reference to start to view your thoughts and emotions without getting lost in them. Um, but yeah, absolutely. That is a big stumbling block for most people. And it was for me because, you know, when I first started meditating, I was too anxious to go to any sort of class. And so I really think that's one of the reasons why my first few weeks, even a couple months were really frustrating because I was just in this constant battle trying to stop my thoughts. Yeah, that's how I was. I mean, I when I came to meditation, I was like doing it. <laughs> it was kind of, it was ridiculous because I was doing it like from this book. Like I would read this book and I was like, okay, it's telling me to like just sit still. And like, it was like really, I mean, it's I've come a long way, but it's like, it was seriously in the beginning I felt like I was. I was very frustrated. Not that I still don't get frustrated. I mean, I've been in your class and I've been like, that was the most frustrating meditation. But most of the time it's frustrating because I'm telling my, I mean, it's terrible. I'm like, oh my God, I wanted, I really want to kind of jump across the room and like hurt Jordan. But no, I don't. I never do that. And I wasn't really thinking that. But anyway, um, I just think, but sometimes I think it's because I'm so, what's happening is emotions are coming, but I'm angry that those emotions are coming, right? I'm, I'm angry that I'm not in this like peaceful Zen thing. And that's what meditation is about. And I think that's where the, where we're all kind of misguided. I think we also think that it's like some, it's very religious or it's some kind of, like you said, you didn't come to it through a spiritual place. Like it wasn't a religious thing for you. No, but I mean, in, in the long run, sort of, I was raised Catholic and uh, sort of super Catholic, and it kind of pushed me away from religion. Um, so I had really shut down for that. I just was looking for peace just in my headspace. Um, but there is a certain spiritual side to it that is undeniable that you'll, you know, if you, if you practice for a while, you'll, you'll get to, but uh, it in no way has to be religious or spiritual leaning at all. Um, yeah, and to your point about sort of the frustration of it, the, the emotion of it, the fact that, that people think it's supposed to be this transcendent experience every time. That's not the case at all. Um, really, I, I look at it as a, a, just this the, the like perfect act of self-love. You're just willingness to be present with yourself in your frustration, in your peace, uh, present with your anxiety, present with your happiness, with your sadness, uh, this willingness to just sit and love and accept yourself unconditionally. That's really what you cultivate meditation after meditation. So it's not, I mean, certainly there are peaceful transcendent meditations, enlightening meditations, but there are also ones where certainly for me, after having uh, not felt emotion for basically 20 years, 
Um, there were just meditations where tears would just fall down my face. Um, yeah. But that uh, really was just as cathartic, just as healing as those um, enlightening, peaceful, transcendent meditations. Yeah, and you were just willing. You get to a point, and I was at that point too because of all of the stuff that I kind of was just talking about. I was at this place where I was willing to try something different. And I had to be at a place where I was kind of willing to be okay with being a human being and all of those thoughts and feelings are part of the human being a human being. Like I was no longer trying to fight being angry or fight being sad or fight because I felt like, Oh, I shouldn't feel this way. I should be happy and blah, blah, blah all the time. And my thoughts should be butterflies and rainbows. And I thought this and I thought in the beginning, I think I thought meditation was going to help me. Like it, I had a very interesting thing. Like I came to meditation thinking, that it was going to help me heal, obviously. And that's what it did, but it did it in this very different way. Like I, I, cause I did over time through not only you, but other people kind of saying that you don't have to stop your thoughts. Not everything's going to be butterflies and rainbows. And so it is, it's very interesting. And it's more about your relationship to your thoughts. You know, I was just discussing this in one of my classes earlier this week with some of my students that, um, you know, you just have this natural inclination to want to wrestle with certain thoughts or to want to not experience or think certain thoughts. And, you know, they were asking my headspace is like, and certainly my headspace is a lot quieter and there's a lot less going on. Um, but that doesn't mean from time to time, painful thoughts, emotions don't pop up. And it's just my relationship to them that is, um, is peaceful. Now I don't really believe those thoughts that might be self-limiting or self-hating because I've sat there uh, and experienced them and sort of felt the emotions associated with them fully, so much so that I sort of nullified those emotions. I felt them fully. I've let that go. And so now the thought just comes and go as any other trivial thought would just come and go. Yeah, that's how I feel. And that's, and especially with my kind of issues surrounding food, I may, the thought has never gone away, Jordan, where I've said, like, just the other day something happened and I was like, oh, maybe I need to go on a diet. And now I like bust out laughing at myself because I'm like, did that thought actually come? Like that thought actually came like something passed through. Like I'm, you know, I'm scrolling through my phone and some kind of new diet plan like came across and I thought, hmm, maybe I should do that. And I'm then I and then I instantly because it's almost like it was almost so it's not that the thoughts don't come. It's just my reaction to them are much different now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's interesting, and I wanted you, I really wanted you to talk about this, so I want to ask before I forget, but I wanted to talk a little bit, and I know you do like a whole kind of class on this, but this idea of how meditation has helped with your social anxiety, because a lot of us struggle in social situations, so I would love to hear you kind of talk about how meditation helped you in that, because obviously you're a musician, you're in front of all these people, right, so I remember you talking about how you were very, you at one point, I mean, it was just like terrible anxiety and fear before you would go on stage. So if you could just talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. I mean, social anxiety for me started well before high school. Um, You know, I wanted to be a singer, songwriter, musician since high school Um, because of the anxiety. I didn't get around to singing out loud for anyone at all to hear, not friends, not family, not anybody until I was 27 years old. Um, Got a band together, started touring around. And uh, I would love to say that I sort of faced those fears and the anxiety disappeared, but that wasn't the case for about six years. I was touring all around the U.S. and just 
putting on this front while on stage uh, that I was this confident front man, singer, songwriter guy, and I would just be trembling inside. Um, and I would do, you know, various things, self-medicate, do a lot of things to try to get through those shows. Um, but after I lost my dad, after I started meditating, I, I took a completely different approach, and that was to practice mindfulness. And so I, I, look, at, I look at meditation as this sort of a practice, right? You do it 5, 10, 20 minutes a day. And, and there is mindfulness meditations, but I really consider mindfulness um, when you put meditation into practice in your everyday life. And the most mm-hmm. um, transformative ways uh, to put that into practice is where you're struggling. And for me, that was my social anxiety, mm-hmm. and it was never uh, more heightened than when I would go play a show and right before I'd get on stage. And so I made this choice before my shows that I wasn't going to run from those emotions, those thoughts. I wasn't going to distract myself or self-medicate or stare at my cell phone. Or I was just going to sit there. I was going to focus on my breath. And I was going to start to really become mindful of what anxiety was. I was going to start to demystify it from this just cloud of uh, pain and, and chaos that I didn't want to feel and experience. Um, and I was just going to sit with it and really start to understand it. And so I focused on my breath. And then I'd, I'd focus on the present moment itself, and the present moment itself was anxiety. And so I started to, what does that look like, right? What are the quality of those thoughts? What does that emotion feel like? What is happening in my physiology? My heart was beating out of, out of my chest. My, my body was getting tense. And the more I sat with that, the more I focused, I would use my heartbeat as a sort of my anchor to the meditation, my breath and my heartbeat. The more I focused on that, the more it would dissipate, the more that experience of anxiety would dissipate, because the more I was focused on my body and my heart, uh, the less I was, I was feeding that anxiety with my, my thoughts. Uh, mm-hmm. So sort of like your, your experience in any given moment of the world is based on your thoughts, your emotions, and your sensations. Mm-hmm. And so if you bring your attention, your awareness to the sensations, um, mm-hmm. rather than feeding it with thoughts or so the sensation of my heart beating out of my chest, you can slowly calm and heal that anxiety. So I would heal it in the moment. And then weeks, months, uh, years of doing that practice, um, I was able to heal sort of just my experience of social anxiety in general. Yeah, like, so talk to Bia real quick about, because I know you have a real, like, even just going in, I know you struggled, and so did I, because I just felt like crab about myself, but you even struggled with going into the room, like going into rooms with people, like a big party. And for you, it was a little different than me, but you wanted to please everybody in the room, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was, uh, I would just, I would walk into a room, and, and again, when I was younger, I didn't really realize this. You know, I just knew this. I did not want to be in this room, and so I'm going to sort of attach myself to somebody that's comfortable, or I'm going to leave, or I'm going to self-medicate. But the more I started to become mindful, I started to see, wow, I'm in this room, and I'm projecting everyone else's perception of me, and I must sort of I must sort of be this ideal version of me for everyone. And for each person, it was a different version. Um, and that's sort of what my mind was doing. And so it was exhausting because I can't please everybody because everybody wants to be a different version of me according to my mind. Um, and so, I, again, I would just see that. And I would see those thoughts. And I would see how that was affecting my physiology, my emotional state. And I would just sit with it. And, um, yeah, yeah, but it was exhausting. And it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't just about being on stage. It was about even one-on-one conversations were a challenge. You know, I'm talking to somebody, and my, my brain is just this constant narrative of, of well, what do I say next that will be what, what they need to hear or, or will somehow um, sort of people please them. And, yeah, it was just exhausting. No, it is exhausting because I do that too. And I think yeah. a lot of people do that, so I'm so thankful that we're talking about this. 
because you're not really even listening to what the other person is saying, right? You're already thinking yeah. about, okay, well, what would they want me to say and what should I say? And like, you're already five seconds down the road. So you're not really even present in that conversation. You've just missed you missed whatever that relationship is, or you're medicating. Like I self-medicated. I used alcohol. I used food in those social situations. I mean, when I was very young, like in high school, I mean, I don't even think I could go to a party without having like being half drunk before I got there. Cause I just didn't feel like I felt so uncomfortable. So it's interesting oh, yeah. because same with you with meditation and with me with meditation, it really, it it's, it's done so many things, and you said it perfectly. You said putting meditation into the area where you struggle. And that was awesome when you said that because that's exactly what I do. Like, I think we've talked about this before that meditation doesn't have to look a certain way. And so, for me, and we'll talk more about it because we only have a short period of time before our next break, but I really wanted to mention this before I forgot is this idea of like, for me, with the food, my meditation practice with food right now or kind of has been for a long time is just taking three deep breaths before I eat or three deep breaths before I take that bite because it makes me become to me it's a meditation because it's a mindfulness practice it's bringing me right back into that present moment so I'm present with that food and I can just kind of relax right and so I can be present and that's the same thing I do like before I go into a really difficult meeting or something like that yeah Deep yeah. at any time of the day can do wonders. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't have sure. to be it doesn't have to be a certain way. Well I'm gonna um we have like twenty seconds here until like we need to break, but you're gonna you're gonna hang on with us, right? Because I have a lot more questions. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, cool. Yay. All right. So we'll be staying with Jordan on the other side of the break, and we're going to talk a lot more about meditation and the healing effects of it. So we will um we'll see you guys on the other side. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Kelly Backer offers one-on-one life and health coaching and personal training by phone, over Skype, and in person. Visit corebootcamps.com to find out more about Kelly and these programs. No matter your age, gender, fitness level, or goals, Kelly and her team of certified trainers are here to ensure that you become the best version of you. They can even come to your home or work, and group weight loss programs and classes are also available. Find us on the web at corebootcamps.com. That's K-O-R-E bootcamps.com. If you're in Baltimore or Hartford County, Maryland, you can check out the Core Bootcamp Studio and take advantage of our fitness classes. Led by Kelly Backer and her team of fitness professionals, we offer on-site weight loss programs, challenges, and classes, including spin, sculpt, strength, yoga, and the popular full bootcamp. If you're a fitness beginner or at a top level, we already have a class that fits your style. For more information, visit corebootcamps.com or call us in Maryland at 443-640-5274. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You are listening to Already Enough with Kelly Backer. To reach the show today, you may call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feel free to also send an email to kellysbootcamps at gmail.com. Let's get back to Already Enough. Hi, everyone. It's Kelly again. With Already Enough, I'm here with Jordan Lally. He's a musician, my meditation teacher, and he's definitely a mental health advocate. I um I have a lot more questions for Jordan as we finish up the kind of this last segment of the show. Um, Jordan, I want you to talk to like our listeners who are very, very, very starting out. Like they don't know where to start when it comes to meditation. Like you've talked kind of a little bit about your experience and I've talked a little bit about mine, but in the beginning, I mean, what do you recommend for people? I mean, like you said, you didn't go to a class. I'm reading some book, you know? So, I mean, I remember you telling me that like when you started meditation, you didn't even sit up. You just laid down. So, I mean, what are you, what would you, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, first of all, we both of us have enough going on in our headspace to, to worry about some perfect meditation posture is just unnecessary. Um, it, lying down, you know, I, I started for about two minutes sitting up the first day I meditated, and that's about as long as I lasted, and then I lie down flat on my back. And um, unless I'm teaching a class, honestly, it's still my preferred meditation posture. It's just lying down flat on my back. I was never really prone to falling asleep, so that wasn't an issue for me. Um, and so just, you know, ideally you want to have a straight line, but, but you can, you know, sit up leaning against a wall, sit in a desk chair, lay down flat on your back, or sit up in a meditation posture. But allow yourself, especially at the beginning stages, to be comfortable, to be reasonably comfortable. Um, you just want to have a posture that in some ways embodies wakefulness. Um, and then, you know, I know for a lot of people are using a lot of apps nowadays, um, so Headspace, or one that I recommend often is Insight Timer. Um, you know, you can use an app to help guide the meditation, especially at the beginning stages. And I would suggest to people, and I suggest my one-on-one clients, to meditate twice a day for 15 minutes. Um, one of those meditations being guided, whether that's through those apps or some YouTube uh, meditation. And the other uh, meditation, you are your own guide, so you're going to use just a simple anchor. It could be your breath. It could be a mantra, something as simple as just let go, you know, inhale, let, exhale, go. Um, something to bring your anchor, your awareness into the present moment. And so I generally offer those two um, strategies for your daily meditation uh, because if you do a guided meditation especially earlier on you're most likely going to have a deeper um, experience more relaxing experience and so that'll give you some positive reinforcement um, but then I, then I advise the second meditation to where you're your own guide or you're your own anchor um, it might be a little bit more frustrating at the outset but you'll cultivate mm-hmm. this ability to center yourself without the need of any sort of external resource um, so I think the two of them going hand in hand is really uh, help to people in the long run. Um, so that, that, I mean, that's the basic tenets. Um, every day you sit down and meditate, remind yourself you're not trying to stop your thoughts. You're just um, intending your awareness to return to the present moment, whether that, that present moment is the voice of someone guiding the meditation in a class or an app or YouTube or, um, or it's your own breath or your own mantra. Um, yeah, and, and allow I yourself think to be reasonably comfortable. That's great. Yeah. I just think that's awesome. I love at the beginning of every class when you say that, like, this isn't about doing it some perfect way. Because when I first started, I was dealing with a lot of issues with perfectionism anyway, right? This 
perfect way to be, this perfect way, this weight to be, this perfect everything. So I think it was almost a relief to me when someone had said to me, like, it doesn't have to be. And the, and the times are changing a little bit because I think back, like we kind of discussed this before, back meditation was kind of more of like a spiritual, religious word. And it was like you pictured this guy with a turban on his head and all of these people sitting in a quiet room for like the whole day. Like, you know what I mean? Going to these silent retreats or mm-hmm. something like it doesn't have to be that way because that can feel overwhelming. Not that there isn't a place for that. And I mean, gosh, I, would, I mean, you know what I mean? Like you can get to a place where that might be something that you're interested in. But I think in the beginning, it feels a bit overwhelming. Overwhelming. So when someone says, no, you don't have to stop your thoughts and it doesn't have to be done a perfect way, I think that, that it, it's such a relief. I know it was a relief for me. It was just such a relief. And now you're saying, oh, you can yeah, lie I mean, on your back. I mean, this is great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's just about being present. And, you know, part of the present moment is an aching back or, you know, a wandering mind. And so when you try to resist those things by having a perfect posture or, by fighting your thoughts, you're just bringing tension and resistance into the present moment. Um, so there's a there's a gentler approach to it. Again, especially at the beginning, um, with time, naturally your 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 practice will strengthen, and, and maybe you want to try sitting up in a meditation posture. Maybe you want to try without any sort of uh, external guide. Um, but uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be this rigid uh, approach at all. Yeah, and I think both you and I. It's so it's interesting because I think. People sometimes, and even maybe some people that are listening and they're new to meditation, because I know this was my thought too. It was like, okay, how is this going to be like this sitting thing for 15 minutes going to really help me? Like I'm struggling with my eating or I'm struggling with social anxiety. Like how is this going to help me? Like I remember being really kind of like, like I said, I was willing to try it. So I made a commitment to it, but I didn't have, I didn't know. Right. I didn't know, but I know you and I, I'm going to, I'm going to let you, I'm going to speak about it and then I'm going to let you speak about it. But not only has, are those 15 minutes, like I kind of talked about at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day that I'm doing my meditation, but it's meditation has changed my daily, my daily, how I go into that meeting, how I eat, how, cause I'm, it's this idea of being more present and being more mindful and meditation has helped me to do that. So it isn't just, and I know you're going to speak to this right after I stop talking, but this idea of like after, even though it's just that 15 minute, 15 minutes in the, like that, or even like three or four minutes in the morning, it changes your energy and it shifts you. And so you're not, like I said before, I'm instead of, Instead of watching the news and going right to social media, when I start my day with a meditation or a prayer or something like that and just like a stillness with myself, my I'm better to able handle the day in a very mindful and more present way. And I can take the meditations, maybe if I don't have a chance to even do it for 15 minutes in the morning anymore, I'll take a couple minutes sitting in my car at lunch before I have to go into my next client's house to just kind of sit and be still and go back to my breath for three minutes. And, and that and just doing little little things here and there has really that really helps me too. So again, it's back to the idea of it doesn't have to be a certain way. No, not at all. I mean, I think uh, initially it's nice to have and helpful to have sort of uh, anchors in your meditation, anchors in your day. You're going to do it yes. as part of your morning routine. You're going to yes. do it as part of the evening routine um, just to sort of get you over that, that initial 
um, hump, you know, and in the beginning it is frustrating for some, uh, but then it becomes this naturally self-reinforcing process. And, and, you know, so if you, you miss a morning meditation, you're going to find some space later in the day. And, um, and the more and more you meditate, you're, you're actually healing your brain. So that mindfulness just becomes a natural part of you. People often ask, you know, what's my meditation regimen like nowadays? And, and I generally will find time to meditate, you know, in the morning and uh, again some other time of the day. But there's days when I don't meditate and um, I still am very mindful and still very peaceful because I've healed my brain. You know, it's amazing. It just takes like eight collective hours of meditating. Um, we start to structurally change the brain. Uh, it's just amazing. It, it's mm-hmm. it's undeniable. The research, you know, I invite your listeners to to just Google any of the research. Um, it's compelling. Anything you look up, and for me, I always like to to offer the um, you know anxiety being a big part of my life and, and my journey. Um, the amygdala is in, in the center of your brain and the seat of your fight or flight response. And um, the more you meditate, that amygdala, the inflammation, the amygdala starts to shrink and shrink and shrink. And then your prefrontal cortex in the front of your brain. Um, which is involved in your high-level decision-making, your ability to sort of navigate through, through life situations, that becomes thicker and denser. Um, so that's just amazing to me. Your capacity to feel fear and anxiety shrinks, literally, and your capacity to make better decisions and flow with life increases. Uh, structurally, these things are happening. So it's no wonder that if you miss a meditation here or there, um, you're going to find that you have a mindful day anyway. Uh, because you have healed your brain, and that that healing process just continues on and on and on. Um, yeah, it's just amazing stuff. Yeah, and I think I think it's so true because in the beginning, like you said, when you first start trying out, like I made, I definitely, I never skipped a day. Like I told you, I was, I made a commitment because I was at a space where I was like. I, I just knew that I had to do some things differently. So I was kind of just willing to try whatever it took. I was in such kind of like a bad space with all my anxiety and my fear and kind of self-loathing, I guess. So I think that yeah. it was for me, I just made that commitment. And I did, I would do it. I don't remember my exact minutes, but I do know that I would do it in the morning and in the evening. So I would do it when I woke up in the morning and I would do it in the evening. But that's another interesting thing because people always push back with me. They're like, I don't have the time and I can't sit still. Well, both of us had just said that we were like totally people who couldn't sit still. And we also, this idea of time is interesting to me because people always say that to me too when it comes to exercise and stuff like that. But I feel like you don't have, it doesn't have to be like, an hour a day, right? I mean, you could start out with, like, I mean, what did you do in the beginning? I think I did like 15, maybe 15 minutes. I did 15, 15 minutes, uh, 15 to 20 minutes uh, twice a yeah. day. And naturally over months started to just, my wife would come in the room and be like, hey, Jordan, it's been a half hour. Uh, uh-huh. Naturally, I would want to be in, I would want to be in that space. I didn't want to get out of that meditative space. But the thing about time is, is you know, it's offered a lot. You know, people use that as sort of an excuse, but the amazing thing in my life, and I think most people that I know that meditate with regularity, is my productivity across the board and anything I do in my life has increased exponentially because I go throughout my day with this clear mind, this more focused mind, this healthier mind. So I get a multitude of things done uh, more efficiently, uh, more effectively because my brain is healthy. So why wouldn't you save time by allocating 15 minutes in the morning to brain health? Like it, it's, 
it's sort of like a paradox. Like, why it doesn't make any sense? Like, why wouldn't you do that? And I understand that excuse because um, if I didn't have the lesson that that my father's passing afforded me, um, I had I had already been using that excuse as to why I hadn't meditated up to that point. Um, and I, I find the people that really tend to have success um, are the ones that really have had enough. They're they're tired mm-hmm. of of feeling the way they feel, thinking the way they think, and that's really their impetus, their motivation, they're going to, they're going to find that time, um, 15 minutes in the morning or 15 minutes in the evening. And then, as I said earlier, like it just becomes this self-reinforcing practice once you get, um, a couple months in and you really start to reap the benefits. And then, you know, then you, you get that reinforcement just in the meditations. You start to feel peace in the meditation. But then what really happens a little bit further down the line is you start to go through life experiences that, previously made you anxious or previously made you sad or depressive or emotionally reactive in some way. And that emotional yeah, reactivity, that anxiety is not yes. there. And it's just, yes, it's, it's so crazy. Amazing. It's so great. Oh my gosh. I love that. Like, I love it. You're like, Oh, but and you're and like, there's like a little bit of like, I did it. Like, it's so like, I went to a buffet and I wasn't like, insane right and I wasn't telling myself I had to die I was like it, it is it's or I went I went into that social situation where that person you like you said your mind clears things open up there's less drama so you're not when you're in a situation you're kind of just in the situation and you're dealing with what's going on but you have um let go of all of the other stuff surrounding it but Jordan we only have like a couple more minutes left of the show so I want you to talk a little bit about and mention your found your the, the Ed Lally Foundation and um, Big Infinity, your band. So talk to us a couple. Uh, just a, just kind of give us a little splurp about both of those things before we have to go. Okay, um, the Ed Lally Foundation. We uh, started immediately after my father passed. Just sort of got the name, the website. We knew we we wanted to do something. We didn't know what. Um, and so we just kind of sat there for a couple of years in name. And then as I went through this journey of mindfulness and meditation, um, it sort of dawned on us that this is what we need, need to do. We need to raise awareness for these things. Um, but we also need to raise awareness for expression, expressing what you're going through, your thoughts, emotions, because that was What's the, the we sort of only have like, we have like 45 seconds, Jordan. Sorry, I'm interrupting you. But tell us the okay. website. Like, how can we, how can we find the Ed Lally Foundation and talk, and then where can we find information on your band? Because I think we have like 30 seconds. Yeah, edlallyfoundation.org and uh, thebiginfinite.com. And both of those things have come together uh, to uh, to help raise awareness for mental illness, to suicide prevention, and to promote mindfulness and also open, honest expression. Because as I was saying, um, that's a, a big part of my journey as well as just speaking openly about depression and anxiety helps to relieve a ton of the pressure. So those two things have gone hand in hand for me in my journey, mindfulness and open, honest expression. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Cause I think we have like 10 seconds left, but I know you're going to be coming on again in a few weeks. So we'll talk about uh, meditation again and all of this stuff, but I really appreciate you coming. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Kelly. All right, great. Thanks. Jordan. We'll talk to you soon. And thanks everybody for tuning into the show today. I really appreciate it. I hope you turn in next week, Friday at one o'clock. Thank you for listening to Already Enough. You can join Kelly Backard again for another edition next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we speak again, what can you let go of this week to realize you are already enough?